0: Welcome again to another edition of the Southwest Climate Podcast. As always, Dr. Crimmins, how you doing? Hi, Zach. How you doing? How's your skiing? Skiing was bad, man. <laughs> <I> <laughs>
1: Thanks know. for pointing us. <laughs> sorry. You're pre- preluding way. what we're going to talk about. Here. I know. I think you're out doing some field recon. Yeah. Yeah, can you call uh, that like field work?
0: I was up skiing for a couple of days over Super Bowl weekend in Utah. You know, it's the best snow on earth, I think, is on their license plate. It was it. terrible. It was dry. <laughs> you know, we you know we even tried to plan, you know, our trip based on climate. You climate. So you're
1: but, trying to actually use the stuff we talk about. You see how dicey it, that is.
0: You know, we've, we've, we've done that now six, seven years in a row. I remember it's, that. It's worked we're, once. <laughs> I remember having these discussions. But wait, discussions. We're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> we really we're are. we getting ahead of ourselves. I, we
1: could just cut to the chase and uh, call um, it right there.
0: But I appreciate you uh I was worried about, about trip. you.
1: I was thinking about you, you know, when you're out skiing and I was here. <laughs> dealing with record heat and record dry conditions wondering how your your skiing time is going so
0: so that's it so what we're going to do in this podcast is talk a little bit about what the heck's happened in the last month and a half or so since we've right. we've, to, we've been back and try to deconstruct the
1: dry conditions try to explain how our bets are going to turn out as far as precipitation amounts uh, i figured we just get them all out it's like kind of a little therapy session let's let's just get the hard stuff out early and then we can talk it out all right Don't so the big, it's a good idea? so the
0: big picture Dry and, and warm <sighs> yeah. for, for the most part across much of the West. We'll talk, yeah. we'll talk about that. And of course, that's feeding into a number of impacts from snowpack to stream flows to even what could be a, a pretty early and severe fire season.
1: So we do this all on a day that it's now starting to rain outside. So <laughs> that's right. But just to confuse things further.
0: I, th- I was going to say that. I, by the time this pod drops, there would have been a uh, one of the first rain events in a, yeah. a couple months yeah, for, for the most part.
1: And, and with our track record, it'll probably flood at some point over the next couple of All days. All right. So let's too. just get some
0: dates to this. So this is mid-February, February 14th. So it's been <laughs> in Tucson. Let's just ground it to Tucson. It's basically been two months since yeah. we last received some sort of measurable or Precipitation that we want to talk about is that
1: you're right. We ended up the the most meaningful precipitation was right around the time we did the podcast in December. Are we bringing forth Mother Nature and precipitation by the the timing of the podcast? So we so are you saying we should have this podcast every week? I think some people <laughs> could pay for. Maybe they'd hire us to do the podcast every day. I mean, somebody'd have to. I listen think that's. To it.
0: That's on the weather time scale. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We'd, be talk- it We'd just be talking about weather. We would. And there's it? there's a number of those, but we are the only That's a climate
1: podcast That's right. to focus in on the Southwest. Yeah. We couldn't compete head-to-head on the weather. <laughs> oh, you're right. There's a whole TV enterprise around daily weather. I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. We don't want to go head-to-head with that. So fair enough. December was the last time in Tucson that we had a meaningful precipitation event. We did have a spit in January, but as I was cl- was clicking around on some of our data here, the northern part of the state actually ended up having a decent precipitation event in January. So we had the inverted upside-down climate of Arizona in December, where southern Arizona ended up getting some of the more precip- more of the precip events or precip event, similar to what we're seeing today as it started tracking through southern Arizona. In January, it was a little bit more right-side up, which was northern Arizona picking up some precip and even some snow at higher elevations. But again, this is not not knocking anything off the charts in the positive direction.
0: Yeah, you're talking about one of the the few uh, yeah. events that we've had. Bars thus very far. low,
1: right? <clears throat> it's easy to talk about events when you only have a couple of them for sure.
0: <laughs> so just you know, looking at the the big picture here in the in the west from at last 90 days, last 3 months from mid November, you know, much of Arizona I- including northern parts have received less than 50% of their average for this time of year and this is a this is the the meat of the of the winter. The majority, I should say, the majority of Arizona, uh, even though some some areas have received a little bit less than 50%, the majority of the areas is, is 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 less than 25%. You know, that's a similar picture in in New Mexico. Pretty much the entire state has experienced less than 25% of their average for this time of year. California, there's about half the state is less than 50%, the other half is somewhere between 50 and 70%. Nevada's the same way. Utah looks terrible. Colorado the same. You have to get above north of uh, of Colorado into Wyoming before you start seeing yeah. above average precipitation. That's basically the the hinge line. So right. mo- most of the storms thus far this season have been pushed have been pushed north.
1: Yeah, persistent track through the far upper northwest and then through the Intermountain Rockies has been where most of that that snow and precip is stacked up and left all of us out of the southwest out of it. And I think just to, to reiterate what you said too, New Mexico is in bad shape. New Mexico is in really, really bad shape. And I believe that set a couple of daily records for dry spells. And if we look at the total up through the last couple of days, this is total through February, 10th from October 1st, they've had 700ths um, of an inch in three precipitation. Cuts. I don't know why I'm and laughing. That's it's, just... it's just epic bad. That's through mid-February. You and know?
0: This, is, this is closer record?
1: I believe so. At least in the way I've calculated things, that is the driest stretch so far from October 1st to present uh, that they've had on record.
0: Now, this event that we just spoke of a minute ago is going to hit New Mexico as well. Is that correct?
1: It's... Right now, so this event dropped out of the um, Great Basin and put down some precipitation in northern Arizona. Apparently Flagstaff broke a daily precip record two days ago, but it was really localized. And it was some of the high country um, squeezed out some heavy rainfall. And it, again, uh, I don't know. It's it's a warm event? I think it's been a warm event largely. And uh, snowpack, I still believe, is terrible across the state, even with this this precip event. So it's dropping south now. Through Arizona and it's picking up a real nice juicy bit of subtropical moisture and it's going to carve this decent half inch to an inch to maybe two inches across far southeast Arizona. Mm-hmm. That's it. And then I think it reaches up into New Mexico, but again, I think it's more southern focused. And so the northern part of the state, I'm not sure it's going to reach as far as Albuquerque. And uh, we're certainly pulling for you at this point. Let's see what happens in the next couple of days.
0: So okay, so. This event certainly will help those places that anywhere from a half inch to, you said two inches. That's that would be ideal. Yeah, Um, but it's going to be sort of contained to southeastern Arizona, southwestern New Mexico, for the most part. Southern
1: Southern New Mexico. Southern New Mexico seems to reach up through the Rockies, but they're not. The precip amounts aren't aren't very much at this point.
0: Okay, so in terms of the big picture, in the last couple months, a lot of the storms tracking through the Pacific Northwest, down a little bit into Wyoming, uh, through Idaho, Montana, down in, in, into Wyoming. What's sort of been the, the overall synoptic picture? What's, what's, what's sort of been driving
1: that? A, a real pronounced meridional jet stream I mean, got a lot of waves in it, and uh, the wave pattern across the Pacific has been pretty consistent with what you'd see during a uh, La Nina event, which is— Are you
0: invoking La Nina?
1: I have to. It's the only, it's the only way to talk about this. It is a classic this. pattern. I think we can invoke ENSO reasonably well. We can invoke at
0: least the ENSO pattern.
1: We can invoke the La Nina side of the ENSO pattern and make some sense of it. Because I think that that, (laughs) I mean, when we look at the analogs in the past and you look at sort of the classic cartoon picture of the jet stream when you see a a La Nina event, you've got this uh, northward shifted storm track through the Pacific Northwest dropping through um, the Great Plains. And then you see sort of secondary axis of precipitation in the Ohio Valley. And in a large part, you see that. Is it a perfect explanation? No. And globally, is it a perfect explanation? La Nina? No. Is there other stuff going on? Yeah. Madden-Julian Oscillation, which sometimes we'll talk about during La Nina events. I was reading some of the Climate Prediction Center discussions over the last couple weeks, and Madden-Julian Oscillation, which is that equatorial trapped oscillation that can move around the globe with the tropics about 30 to 60 days ended up peaking in one of its phases and setting a record as far as its strength in this particular phase. And it was constructively working with La Nina at that point to strengthen both itself and La Nina in that phase. And when you do that, it, it really did seem to wrestle the Pacific jet stream into its kind of classic pattern. It's probably reasonable to do some good attribution with the pattern over the last six weeks back to La Nina and MJL working together.
0: So does that also, did it also lock in the sort of persistent ridge that's been over the west coast of yeah. of the U.S.?
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think it's the, you know, the warm west, cold east ridge pattern. The eastern U.S. over the last, it's, they've warmed up now as the pattern sort of shifted in the last couple of days. But, you know, they were locked in the icebox for much of January and early February.
0: So I remember, you know, not too long ago, a couple of years ago or 3 4 years ago when California was in the midst of, you know, one of its his- historic droughts, we, the, you know, a lot of the talk was this ridge that just built up this over the west coast and just stayed there and basically helped divert whatever whatever storms that would come that would move in off the west coast north of uh, of California and we have a similar pattern that's been persistent for the most part the the last couple months.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good point. And I I think that you can get different mechanisms to drive that same pattern. And La Niña certainly seems to fit right now, but we've had that ridge pattern originate when it hasn't been as La Nina-ish, right? And I think it it I again I think it all points back to patterns in the Pacific Ocean and where that tropical convection is occurring and how that influences the jet stream up upstream, and um, where it ends up dumping those wave patterns downstream. And Mm -hmm. I think there's a couple different pathways that give you something similar. And you'll see slight shifts in the ridge axis, too. If it's like right overhead and screaming up the whole west coast, then the Pacific Northwest will get out of the action, too. And you can have it where it's slightly off, and the ridge axis is a little bit more out in the ocean, and then that will allow the troughs to drop down through the Great Basin and then in, into us. And we've had that happen a couple of times with that subtle shift in the ridge axis. And then you get, the Weather Service likes to call them inside sliders. And I, I kind of like that that um, way of thinking where this little bowling ball of a low pressure system will drop through and it will bring a blip in the weather down here, but typically it doesn't have any moisture with it mm-hmm. and will create a cool down, some windy conditions. If it had any moisture to work with, either bringing it with itself uh, from the Northwest or it was able to tap into any tropical moisture to the south, we'd get a little bit of precip out of it. And that just hasn't happened that often. No, just hasn't happened. But we've had office. a few of those inside sliders. So the, yeah, the, yeah. that axis
0: ridge position yeah. has has moved westward a little bit. It's
1: wobbled. You know, it's kind of moved around a little but it's, bit. But it's always
0: sort of been It's around. always been
1: there, right. Yeah. And so if you think about, you know, what, okay, so what's a quote-unquote normal winter? What you should have happen is a lot of sort of building and retreating, right? Not blocking, not sort of stuck.
0: Building of retreating of the ridge. Yeah.
1: So and and then maybe flipping, you know, or, or or progressing where you get into the west, getting into a trough, and then the east getting into a ridge. That's actually what's happening right now. There's there's a it appears to be a big relaxing of that jet stream across the Pacific and into the continental U.S. And we're now starting to see some new weather emerge that we haven't seen yet at all this winter, which is very encouraging. And if we look back historically there's only a couple winters where it seems to just like stretch on and on and on and on. Some of our driest winters still have this breakdown that occurs in February and March and you still get some precip. And so then that, that's the question then is you have these really dry stretches early in the winter and we start to pick up some precip now. What does that actually mean for us from a drought standpoint? I'm even going to, I'm going to set myself up and say, does it break the drought? No, but it helps. How much does it help? I don't know. I mean, and we're, we're now, we're talking about fire season coming up. What if we do end up getting a great rest of the month and even a good March? Does that fire risk go away? I don't, I don't really know.
0: Well, that's a good question. But in terms of precipitation, I mean, during I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, it, probably. <laughs> well, during this this time of year, well, if you if you go from October to the end of May, for example, yeah, you know, in Tucson, just again the ground to Tucson, you know, five inches or so uh, of rain on average falls. So far, we've had about a half inch. Yeah. So, how many of these events would it take to pop up the amount of precipitation to be somewhat? close to average it'd probably take quite a bit
1: right this is where it all goes back to our bet and me wanting to win um <laughs> is like what would it take to to get up to Couldn't these let things. that one go could I, you? Could, I can't <laughs> let this go i mean i'm in it for the money for this is what this is all about this event right now and this is just tucson how do you pop flag back up to average or albuquerque which is further north and they typically don't get these big extremes unless you get like a an atmospheric river, some kind of epic event with a lot of subtropical moisture. And this is a little shout out to Marcos Robles, who I had a really nice conversation with this morning about the impact of climate extremes and getting these extreme events in the middle of these dry winters. And what does that actually then mean? Is it is it effective precipitation? Is it efficient in doing anything? We could get an inch of precip in the next couple of days. So add that inch to our chart now. So what does that put us at? It puts us at an inch and a half. And what if we do that two more times? In um, two more events, and easily did that in March. We could be within a, a, like an inch or an inch and a half of uh, average at that point, and then we'd forget all about what happened earlier in the. Yeah, in from the a winter. totals
0: perspective, I mean, but yeah, you bring up a good point with Flagstaff, which you know currently is is, is close to just two inches of, of rainfall so far or, yeah. or precipitation yeah. so far, and their average is is a little bit is is north of twelve. So. More than
1: twelve, and most of that snow. Then they haven't had much of any. I think what they've had eleven inches of snow, so far. But I, but I think the point,
0: though, at least the way I see it is, and maybe this is stating an obvious, but the further along you go with these, the 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 more deficit that you accumulate. Obviously, the less time that you have. Yeah. To to win it back. And, yeah, I think it's a
1: good point. Yeah.
0: And the winners are sort of truncating sooner. It seems yeah. like. Yeah. 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 So I mean, there's a month maybe left of of winter. I don't know. Mm-hmm. When does winter end?
1: It's it's a state of mind, I think, really. <laughs>
0: well, when does winter end for you, then?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, perpetual or Are you winter. already out of winter? <laughs> I, I was actually, I called winter um, like December 15th. I just figured we were skipping Winter never it. happened. I already huh? moved on, yeah. I put all my coats away. And
0: yeah, the, the yeah. first 90-plus 90, 90
1: Fahrenheit day. <laughs> it was basically it. Yeah, as I was yeah outside in December, and I decided we were skipping winter. No, I think it's, it's a really good point. This was especially the case in those El Nino when we were – had the El Nino conditions in the East Pacific. I honestly believe that that had something to do with picking up late March and April precipitation. It seems to me that that's even less likely in a La Nina year, and I'm pretty sure that's the case. And so, yeah, we're in borrowed time as it is. And February and March, are third period, fourth quarter, I don't know, take take your sport.
0: Well, I do remember not too long ago, actually a couple of years ago, when there was a sort of a bleak winter thus far in terms of snowpack in the Upper Colorado River Basin, and Miracle May, Miracle, miracle May. March, yeah. Mir- they, they it was had a May. An I awesome
1: April, <laughs> was that what it was? I think it was? They had one for every month. Yeah, yeah, we've we've been, you know,
0: we've been bailed out, bailed um, out for sure. So what were what was the bet?
1: I can't remember. I
0: think I went bullish though.
1: I was I was pretty I think bullish. You did. We should write this stuff down, I suppose, right?
0: <laughs> well, I'm I'm pretty sure that I I was coming in at above average, but I was just trying to. Go against the yeah conventional your, wisdom of your payout would probably of, would of, of La Niña. That's right. I, I was going for the high reward. That's right. High risk <laughs> high reward bet. But you know yeah. something that I learned not too long ago was you know we're in a back to back La Niña event. Yeah. Um, you know, last year was was also uh, sort of a weak weak La Niña. We're we're a little bit yeah. above a weak right now. I think right. it's, it's more like a right weak to moderate. <laughs> We'll add another category. Exactly. um, The sea surface temperatures are such that it's, I think it's classified right now as as a moderate event. Yep. Traditionally, back-to-back La Niña's, the second year tends to be... To be stronger. Tends tends to be drier, that's right.
1: That was an interesting uh, ENSO climate blog. First off, the back-to-back La Niña's is not common. Even more uncommon is the second year being stronger. And again, these are... It's just edging out last year, and then the impact of the La Nina in this study was showing that it was stronger the second year. So I think it was trying to make some sense of it. There's a lot of caveats in that study. One of them
0: is eight, eight events with <laughs> Not this very year. many. Yeah. So it's a really, really small yeah. sample it's size. It's what we
1: specialize yeah. in, which is small event analysis <laughs> and uh, extension. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Put correct. a T-test on uh, yeah. a sample size of eight. That's right. Ooh, yeah. That comes yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple interesting features uh, about this back-to-back La Nina that maybe we're talking about. One of them was that of the seven previous ones, none of them had a sort of flip in the summer to warmer sea surface temperatures mm-hmm. like a like a quasi El Nino event. This one did, mm-hmm. just something to, uh, to point out. And and then the second, as you said before, the second year is usually weaker, and this and this year has actually been right. stronger. So it's, again... And yeah. I'm not sure that there's any sort of dynamics or physical mechanism that would suggest why that's the case. It's just sort of a statistical characteristic that's worth exploring.
1: I think it's an interesting first step in sort of finding the pattern in the data. But I think that it was struggling with struggling with mechanism.
0: You know, the other thing I wanted to point out about this La Nina event is – you know, this is something that I w- I've been sort of thinking about ever since we had that monster El Nino not t- a, f- a few years ago. But the sort of global expression of this mm-hmm. is not coherent. Yeah. Like we in the Southwest and much of the South actually in, in the Pacific Northwest, that sort of classic La Nina, you know, wet pattern in the Pacific Northwest, dry, right. dry in the South is holding. But if you look across the globe, the sort of traditional La Nina impacts aren't actually manifesting in the way that that you would suggest. So it's really it's it's pretty spatially dependent on where, on where you are. And and that yeah. was the case a couple years ago during the 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 really strong El Nino event where those sort of impacts that you would expect from an El Nino event manifested in particular places as expected but not yeah. not here in the southwest.
1: The postmortem on this particular year is going to find some attribution that's a mix of the La Nina base state and the Madden-Julian oscillation sort of sometimes fighting each other and sometimes working together and then probably some other moving parts the arctic sea ice shift is it's still out there and it's probably part of the signal and it may be small and it may be bigger and it's hard to kind of use right now i think an operational attribution and operational seasonal forecasting but there's just a lot of moving parts it'll be interesting to watch the research kind of come out
0: there's a something else that we should talk about, which is just very briefly before we, we discuss the impacts, but in addition to in addition to dry, it's been pretty, it's been above average uh, temperatures.
1: Sure has. Yep.
0: Over the last three months, the average temperature in terms of, it's been the record warmest across much of Arizona uh, or, over the last three months. Yeah. November, average over the last November, three
1: December, January. Yeah. It's pegging in the 1895 to 2018 record is in record warmest. So we're Top 10%.
0: Southern California, Southern Nevada, Southern Utah, Southern Colorado, and much of uh, New Mexico has experienced that as well. So dry and warm, of course, that's had a pretty pronounced impact on the snow when when we've yeah. got it. Yep. So the snowpack, so maybe we can transition, talk That'd a little bit good. about right. what sort of the, the the impacts of the last few months of warm and dry conditions. And obviously the, the thing that jumps to my mind is the snowpack situation which across the West, if you look at just the snow tail sites, these are places that monitor in high in high elevations the the snow water the, the, the water content in, in the snowpack or the depth of snow. And you sort of cue this map into the the lowest or the second lowest on record and the map just sort of pops with, you know, red and red red colors. So there's a number of 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 snowpack stations across the Southwest. California mountains particularly, but also in Utah, as we talked about earlier, Colorado, and obviously in in, in uh, the high country here in the in, in the southwest. Uh, so that's a really bleak snowpack picture.
1: Yeah. It's been that combination of ridge across the west, storm track shifted to the north, and not getting the precip and then having the temps. And then when we do sort of squeak in a storm, it tends to have a pretty high snow level. And I think, you know, to Talk about this this event that's coming through right now is the snow levels are above nine thousand feet for most part. So it's southern Arizona, so it's already not really reaching the high country of Arizona, for the most part. But as it clips the Sky Islands, it's only going to get the very tippy tops with uh, snowpack, which is you know kind of unusual for a, a mid-February storm to be this warm with this high of uh, snow levels.
0: So uh, much of the high country could use a number of uh, s- storms in the next the next few months awesome april or miracle may yeah. miracle think... march
1: M- miracle. maybe maybe march uh, yeah i don't really know what what i think that would actually just be normal right yeah it would be, yeah <laughs> march so like peak snowpack in the southwest is typically Mar- march first i think okay. so we're we we do it a month earlier than uh, april first for the rest of that so we've got 2 weeks so what does a 2 week forecast look like it's better than it has been in the last 6 but it's not it's not an el nino epic train of storms by any means.
0: So okay, so the snowpack obviously is a direct indicator of a stream flow runout, runoff. And so the forecast for the April to July or April to June runoff in a lot of these streams is is equally pretty bleak. So the one that many people and you know a lot of the media pays attention to is obviously the Colorado River. The latest forecast suggests that total runoff between the April and July period, that's the the the, the peak time, will be about forty 47% of average. That's really low. One of the the stories is, okay, well, what, what does that mean for going into shortage declaration on in the reservoirs and, and, and the water supply here in the Southwest? And there is very unlikely chance that that would happen the next year. But if we get what we expect to get, or if the, the dry conditions continue and we don't get the Miracle May, let's say, or uh, snow in, in in April, then the risk becomes forty nine percent by twenty twenty that you would reach a shortage, and that jumps up to close to sixty percent by twenty twenty one. Yeah, so we're inching closer now. We should have a caveat by saying: two years ago, we were sort of right on that cusp, and we were bailed out yeah. by that one yeah that that one good month in the in the Upper Colorado River Basin. Um, so there is still that chance, but uh, you know we're still precipitously close to that shortage declaration.
1: We can't win these little NICA time storms every year. And I think this La Nina situation puts that a little further out of reach. I think it makes it a little bit harder to put, you know, especially for the Southwest and maybe even the Intermountain West um, to really capitalize on that.
0: According to the Colorado River Basin Forecast Center, there's a very low chance that precipitation and snowfall during the next uh, several months would, would bring us close to average. I think they they estimated around a ten percent chance that we would actually have the requisite precipitation to be close to average. Yeah. Okay, so low snowpack, obviously low stream flow, drought. Another another thing that's on the rise.
1: Yeah. So the drought monitor, which have been Communicating with some of the drought monitor authors and state drought committee here and watching the discussions in New Mexico are um, pretty serious. And there's been a lot of pushing out of and deepening in drought in every direction across Arizona and New Mexico. And um, we're continuing to, just about in every geographical direction, extend out the severe drought and even introducing some lower drought categories because of the
0: so how much w- conditions we've had? How much would an event of let's say an inch and a half matter for the, for the drought?
1: Yeah, I see this is, this is I really struggle with this about you know what are, we, what are the next steps on accumulating these drought, pa- drought impacts that we've had over the last you know like six months now from the retreat early retreat of the monsoon season through the epic warm and dry fall and then the early winter season. You know, January is kind of a midland month for Arizona anyways, not for New Mexico, but there was a little bit of snow, a little bit of rain, uh, a little bit of a, a slightly positive direction, but we've had all these cumulative impacts prior to that. So it's really sort of settling on making sure that the drought map accurately reflects those those impacts prior to that. And then I, it's kind of a wait and see. I think that at best you start to get these precip events on top of it, and then maybe you hold steady. And then you try to watch how the rest of the spring evolves going forward, because you can, I think, be pretty quickly swayed to it being much better than it really is by, um, because you're kind of emotionally, the bar is so low that you get excited about two weeks of precip, but you forget that live fuel moisture in trees is really low and you've got all sorts of other soil moisture impacts and you've got low stream flows and all the other impacts that have accumulated over time are still there.
0: It seems like you have to go back a number of years before we, the drought monitor at least, has categorized the state of Arizona in the way that they are right now. I mean, yeah. if you just look back a year, uh, basically all of New Mexico was drought free. And there was just a little sliver in southwest Arizona that was uh, labeled as moderately drought, moderately dry right. or moderate drought. You know, now in Arizona, you know, 65 percent of the state has severe drought or, or, or worse. 9% has has what they call extreme drought. Right. So I don't know, Mike, maybe this is too nuanced of a conversation, but when we say like severe drought and extreme drought, like is, is there clear differences between the two?
1: Well, it's supposed to reflect the frequency with which you'd expect those conditions to occur uh, over time, right? So as you get to deeper drought conditions uh, like d3 you know so th- d3 so, is extreme yeah so we go d0 is abnormally dry and then you go moderate severe extreme exceptional uh when you get down to d4 it's a one in 50. that's exceptional category. that's yeah, the highest category that's highest category one so in 50 it should be or. so you shouldn't see those conditions at that location for that time period more than you know twice a century right and so kind of everything there scales in mm-hmm. in those particular directions now, when you look What's at,
0: the severe then? Do you, do you recall offhand? Uh,
1: I don't remember what the percentiles are, but they're, they're supposed to roughly align themselves with the frequency with which you, ex- you expect to see those conditions.
0: Because basically you can draw a line down from this, the eastern two-thirds of Arizona, and that's, for the most part, s- severe drought or worse.
1: Yeah, yeah. And if you go back to just some of the raw drought indices, the three-month standardized precipitation index, which is scaled in a standard deviation units, so we've got parts of the state that are anywhere from one and a half – to negative, negative one and a half to negative two, which is going to be indicative of very rare occurrences, right? So that three month period being that dry happens a handful of times in the long term record. So it's really trying to align those timescales and those deficits with the drought map and then have that drought map reflect kind of all the impacts that we're seeing across the landscape as well. So the current drought map is picking up on low snowpack, low stream flows. Now we're picking up vegetation impacts, and we've had fires. Already fires. Already fires, including driving uh, up to Globe to a meeting and saw a fire off in the distance in the sort of low desert. Camp, campfire? I thought, I, I thought it was a really big campfire then because I was, it was like 30 miles away, and they were having a good time. And then I, I thought it was uh, – I didn't really know what it was. I thought it may have been some biomass burning or something like that. And it uh lo and behold it was a reservoir that had caught on fire. The Picacho Reservoir. Yeah, I still don't understand that. I, mean, I, I I was, I was sort I, of like I keep telling tuning people like there's us. a reservoir on fire. And they're like that doesn't, that doesn't we're make not any sense. That, we're going to have to google search this. I know. Yeah, so it was a river fire in Pinal County and it was at Picacho Reservoir. They said cleared. it was a reservoir fire. It, well, it's the called the river fire, like that's that oh, what ri- they okay. The river fire, dubbed the river fire at Picacho I'm just, Reservoir. I'm just messing with you, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. That's really helpful. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was confused enough by it. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. So uh, the didn't have any water in it, and all the brush in it caught on fire, and then so it, it burned. Uh, <laughs> it burned. It burned through the dry. The reservoir had no. The, the reservoir had no water in it. Right. So that was probably the first indication that there's a drought impact. The second <laughs> was that it caught that's... a fire. Second. Second impact. I yeah, don't know that, what the the third would be,
0: uh, but there was there is also another fire that's in south southeastern Arizona as well. Uh,
1: there've been a couple. Uh, there was a, a fire in Altar Valley, mm-hmm. uh, which was the Altar Fire, mm-hmm. and then the Knob Hill Fire. We had a couple fires, and there was a, a fire, a grassland lower grassland fire in uh, Santa Rita's.
0: You know, if you look at the outlooks for the fire season already, I mean. Yeah. Again, this is all sort of drawing off of this, the same sort of story, but those outlooks are, you know, calling for above average fire season, you know, as we move into, into our fire season.
1: Yeah. I, and I think it's probably that we've got to keep our eye on the ball with the weather turning a little bit wetter these next couple of weeks and maybe cooler. We still have a lot of problems, right? I mean, the streamflow forecasts are, they're not good. And the chances of us pulling out of that are, are very minimal, especially in Arizona. Upper Colorado may pull out a Miracle May. Who knows, right? I mean, that, that they can do that. We typically don't. We don't usually get that stuff that's far south. Uh, so I think fire is going to be a problem. Stream flows are going to be a problem. Local water is going to be a problem. And then vegetation impacts. I think it's kind of all of them, right? Yeah, can't I think, think we're, think of anything we're, we're hitting the, yeah, the major impacts right. in this season. Yeah. So we may not end up having a lot of like that allergy stuff that happens with the perennial blooming uh, Palo Verdes in the spring. We <laughs> may not have that problem. Woohoo. You know, Trying to look for a positive sign, right? A dead tree doesn't make any flowers, so that's kind of a terrible thing to see on, <laughs> on uh, Valentine's Day, isn't it? <laughs> well, that was bleak. Oh, thank you so. for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, you're welcome. I can't even enjoy a good rainy day nowadays. For goodness' sakes. All
0: right. So before we sign off, Mike, give us the the La Nina picture going forward. I mean, this is a time of year when we're sort of in the waning limb of, of La Nina, and obviously, you know, in terms of its influence on our precipitation has less of an influence just because we have less time yeah but obviously whatever events that we we can get will we'll, we'll, we'll take at this stage but what what's the sort of current state of of,
1: of La Nina so it's weakening I think that was expected it's expected to sort of retreat it's not hanging on The forecast suggests that it's going to be back to neutral by the spring especially in the la Nina side that atmospheric circulation pattern can linger a little bit so uh, it's it's not going to shut off overnight it seems like the this relaxation of the Man, um, Julian oscillation has been, or it's sort of shifting out of the phase that it was in, has been helpful to shake up the jet stream a little bit. So March is a little bit of an open book at this point. The forecasts are still leaning on the seasonal outlooks are still leaning on dry. Some of the experimental forecasts, like the the CPC three to four week forecast, interestingly has Arizona and New Mexico most of them at equal chances so there's like this like
0: I'm... equal chances for dry <laughs> see,
1: <laughs> see that's exactly where my mind goes is right i can't even i can't even take the uncertainty of like hey it could be anything i just assume that it'll be dry too and that, that's pro- that's probably but that
0: is interesting though that the 3 to 4 week forecast has it dry for the pacific northwest
1: it does, and so what it is... It actually looks
0: like it shifts the entire yeah. uh, circulation further north because the British Columbia yep. uh, further north of, of Seattle area is increased chances for, for, for wet wetter conditions. So
1: the discussion suggests that there's a uh, sort of expansion and shift of the ridge up the west coast and that the uncertainty over the southwest is related to the subtropical jet, which is there is some indication in some of the models out through the next couple of weeks that the subtropical jet might actually be more of a factor, which would be good. So it would be the storms kind of riding in underneath the ridge as like um sometimes they're cut off low, sometimes they're actually, you know, juicy subtropical hmm. jets. And they tend to be warm storms. So they're not good snow producers. So just looking at the week three, four for the west for snow, that is terrible. That is a terrible forecast. That is not what you. Uh, but you also you said
0: see. that the 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 ten day forecast looks like it's flipping the the, the pattern is flipping, and so that ridge that we were yeah. talking about before sort of goes away a little bit, and we're we're maybe in more of a sort of a tr- of a trough, which yeah. brings in the storms off the uh, northwest. But that's not being picked up here.
1: No, and it, or maybe it's, it's just
0: it's it's. I mean, it's very little precip.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's not a wet pattern. It's it's not a wet pattern. The forecast out through the next 10 days in the sort of the weather forecasting scheme ends up putting down most of the snow over the places that have already had a lot of it, Mm -hmm. which is the upper, the northern Rockies. And so uh, there's a little bit of snow in the Intermountain West and sort of the upper basin, but it's not, it's not epic. You know, it may end up, it'll be something, but it won't be probably catching up to average. So yeah, it's not a, not a particularly good shift in the pattern. I mean, it's, it's a, it's good in the sense that it's different than what we've had and it's a bit cooler and it introduces a little bit more precip, but it's not, it doesn't seem like a flip or a turnaround. It's not a rally. We're not at a rally yet.
0: We'll see. We'll see how things play out next month. Yeah. I mean, when yeah. we come back in, in a month and, and do the recap, um, the chances of, In that time, us receiving three and a half inches, four and a half inches, that would take us close to average. Actually, I would need something like five and a half inches. I
1: think you would.
0: Yeah. I would need more than a winter's worth of precipitation. (laughs) I would need more precipitation in the next month than I think we've had in the last year.
1: Yes. That's a nice way of- of, Or maybe what I
0: would just need is late July-
1: yeah, there you go. Yeah, I need the monsoon. You need the monsoon? We can call in, Mon- call in the monsoon. Monsoon in March? Make a couple phone calls. <laughs> yep.
0: All right. I lost this bet. Um, I think
1: I did too, quite honestly, because I, I I, think I, my numbers were way low. I well, expected if we did the we, prices right, sort of like. That's true. You can't go over? Can't then, go over. Then maybe you're wrong too. I think I went over. I think we both lost. Yeah, because yeah. I mean right I now. I actually like those kinds of bets where we're both just stupid wrong. Right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, we're going to get some precipitation here, so what I'm about to say is is meaningless. But if we were to get no more precipitation, we would come in at the at the at the record rise, and at at least in Tucson. Yeah. But let me just throw this as as a parting shot. You know, the three lowest uh, precipitation totals for the October to uh, April period in Tucson is 2005, 2006, at 0.7 inches. That
1: was a bleak year you remember that? I do.
0: Do you remember 1999-2000? That was the second driest winter?
1: I don't remember that. 1.2 inches?
0: Yep. And then you probably remember this, 2010-2011, which was the third driest at 1.5 inches in Tucson.
1: Big fire year in Southeast Arizona. Here
0: you go. Keeping it real.
1: Keeping it real. We got trouble on the horizon. (laughs) Boy, we're going to be fun to listen to the next couple of months.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it'll give us at least... Uh, you know, maybe maybe I shouldn't say this, but we, we'll have quite a bit to talk about.
1: Well, lots to talk about. Maybe there's going to be some, as there always is, some, some positive There'll surprises. There'll be some surprises. Yeah, and I think that the thing that we did talk about is that maybe getting ahead of some of this stuff, we've, I think, dodged a couple of big fire years by being vigilant. You know, what do you maybe, mean by vigilant? You know, that there's been some force management where they, you know, really shut down campfires and really get on some of the recreational stuff early, and it's helped— you know, keep stuff at bay. But, yeah, it's a pretty dicey situation for sure going forward. So, And I'm saying this. I'm looking at my radar on my phone right now, and it's just, like, raining like crazy <laughs> outside. So it so yeah, seems about right.
0: So that being said, people should realize that when this pod drops, this, the drought story would not have gone away for most of the southwest at all for at the most all. part.
1: Yeah, Yes,
0: at all for the most
1: part. For the most part, yeah, and I'm sure <laughs> had, somebody's going to be as listening a to this. As, you have to hedge your. No, yeah. it's totally true. Somebody's going to be listening to this podcast, looking at this beautiful stream running and flowers blooming, and it's perfect. You know where they are. So. December
0: fifteenth in Tucson was the last time that we had. So thank uh, you, December fifteenth. Just remember that.
1: Yeah, I think it was a podcast. I think we did it. All right. Well,
0: we'll come back with the podcast next week and during the rain, preset. and the week after that,
1: <laughs> talk about weather. Right, there you go. Uh, all right, Mike. Uh, all right. Thanks, thanks again.
0: That, And thanks to everybody for tuning in, and we'll be back in a month-ish. That's right. The Southwest Climate Podcast is a production of Klemis, which is part of NOAA's Regional Integrated Science and Assessment Program and is housed at the University of Arizona Institute of the Environment. Mike Crimmins is a principal investigator with Klemis, a professor of soil, water, and environmental science in the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, and climate extension specialist with the University of Arizona Cooperative Extension. Zach Guido is a research scientist with the Institute of the Environment and UA program manager
1: of the International Research and Applications Program. The podcast is edited and produced by Ben McMahon, research, outreach, and assessment specialist with CLEMIS. Happy Valentine's Day. Wait, is it today?
0: You're in trouble. I thought it was tomorrow. I thought it was tomorrow.